Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Well, we will continue our series in Colossians that we have titled All Hail King Jesus. We began the series last week on Easter, working through a few verses. You want to turn to Colossians 1. That's where we'll be at. Um, and if you don't have your Bible with you, the scriptures will be on the screen. But we also encourage you, if you you know, use a Bible app or something like that, feel free to do that. I won't presume that you are you know, tweeting or Facebooking during my message. But if you are, that's between you and Jesus. So, <laughs> Well, last week was a blur for, for myself and Craig Pruitt, Lenny Bliss, and Alan Hopkins. We traveled last Sunday night down to Guatemala. Um, we were there for a couple of days as we continue to develop our partnership with Sheo Guatemala. Um, I want you to know this, where Guatemala was. It's not Guadalajara. This is Guatemala. It's not guacamole. It's Guatemala. Yeah. <laughs> so Sheo is a small village of about 500 people that we are entering into a long-term partnership uh, with through Food for the Hungry. And last week was the next step in capturing the story and how Food for the Hungry is working with the community. On June 2nd, we're going to present more fully what we are doing and the next team that we're going to take and how you can participate with that team, how you can participate with child sponsorships, um, and we're very excited for that. Um, but while I was there, um, you know, I just noticed how different the culture is. How, I mean, I, I don't know their culture, obviously, very well, but... This is my fourth time in Guatemala, and just to notice among these indigenous people um, <clears throat> the, the simplicity of life. Um, it, life is really about loving God and loving each other. And f- for us in our culture, we have so many complexities that we're working through, and I saw something different, and it's so beautiful to be able to see a different perspective on what life is really about. Their simple life, it really reminded me of how complex our culture is. Our culture that really aspires to, to good, but we've forgotten God. Our culture, you would agree with this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to do the hand motions. Yeah. <laughs> and sing in Spanish at the same time. Didn't go well, I'll just say that. It didn't, <laughs> didn't go well. English is muy difficile for me, so. All right. <clears throat> so, yeah, this kind of repeats, so feel free to watch it just for a minute here. But um, our culture, there's a phrase that's been said, I wish I coined this because it's really good, but our culture that wants like truth and goodness and love and light and tolerance and diversity, all these things that are found in Jesus, it wants the kingdom of Jesus without the king, Jesus. We live in a world that is really confusing. Our culture is, is confused. Um, there aren't really good anchors that secure us in our culture. 
Um, I, would, I would say that our culture is not just confusing, but it's incoherent in terms of who we are, telling us who we are, who God is, what life is really all about. There are many factors for this, um, but the overarching reality is really confusing, confusion about who God is, about what our purpose here is, um, particularly for us Christians growing in this culture, what the church is all about. Many of you are enrooted right now, and you're discovering more fully that. And I just congratulate you. You're like three weeks in, and rooted is going to be transformative. You're in the week of your prayer experience, and you're fasting and getting ready to, to, to hear from God and pray together in a way that'll be really, um, I think, wonderful for you. Um, and you're learning more about uh, who God is. Really, our culture and world is, has bought into a vision of self. We think that from within that we are able to, to build a roadmap of what life is and then that we have the capacity on our own to walk that out, um, but we can't. We both can't create the map from within ourselves for what is, what is real, and then we don't have the power in ourselves to follow that map that we tried to create. Let me point out a, a subtle example of the confused narratives that are in our world. In, in our culture, there's so many narratives about what the world should be like. And we tend to say things like, well, you just do you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> but they're incoherent. This is just a minor example, but it gives us insight into um, some of these confusions. So I'm going to describe two different movies, and if you think you know the title of the movie, just, just shout it out, okay? So here it is. Here's the, the first one. A rebellious and underperforming son finally comes to his senses and embraces the way of his father to save the family business. Tommy boy, yeah. <laughs> Richard. <laughs> That's interesting. Here in this in this story, we resonate with you know the the way of the family business and tradition and, and keeping it going. And, and it's a funny comedic movie, but also the storyline is compelling. We're like, yeah. Good job, Tommy. I think more of you will know the next one. A nun rejects the constrictions of her order and helps the children of a successful man to be less constricted and traditional so they can all be successful. What? Sound of music. Well done. My daughter can sing right now. I am 16, going on 17. And if some Nazi boy comes around, I know what's going on. Okay, first clue, Jenna. He's a Nazi. Okay, so. <laughs> if you know the story, that's, that's funny. If not, you're wildly confused, and I'm sorry for that. <clears throat> One movie espouses the value of, of tradition, and we say, yes, good. The other espouses the value of buck tradition and constriction, because the, you need to find yourself in a freer way. And we also say, yes. That is good. 
Our culture is confused. We don't live with a consistent worldview. There's, there's things in every which direction all the time. No wonder many young people, maybe not just young people, but people in general in our culture describe themselves as unsure of what to make of life. In this case, we don't know if we should reject our heritage, tradition, or on this side, if we should live into it. This is just one of a million pieces that, uh, of culture building, identity building, that are confusing in our culture. Both seem valid, depending on our mood, or what seems right in our own eyes as we try to build the map of our own lives. What a world we're living in. Really, if you felt confused about what life is all about, if you felt like our culture's adrift, the problem isn't you. It's true. I think perhaps that no other culture in all of history has been worse at helping individuals to know their identity and purpose. It's very confusing. Mark Sayers, who is an Australian pastor, cultural thinker that has been very helpful for me, wrote a book called Vertical Self that our worship pastor James introduced me to. And we'll draw from some of his insights. He says, no longer does our culture provide us with a foundation upon which to build an identity. We have lost the art of forging character, and thus we find ourselves adrift, lost in a sea of insecurity. Insecurity is rampant in our culture. We do not know who we are. We have given up finding our true selves, so instead of being ourselves, we act. We no longer work at nurturing our souls. We now construct an image. Tommy Boy or Sister Maria would provide two different sets of advice for us. He goes on. We are confronted daily with an avalanche of competing messages from our families, our peers, our workplaces, the wider community, the media, and our culture. We receive conflicting messages about who we are and who we should be. With no real center to build an identity around, we find these competing messages moving us towards personal fragmentation. Anxiety is at an all-time high. I regularly pray with people who are feeling so anxious and worried. Depression is at an all-time high. Suicide rates are at all-time high. We try to solve this anxiety with more consumption, more distraction, more experiences. Did you guys know that The Office and Friends are going off of Netflix? I know. <laughs> Dexter knew that. <laughs> Which made the national news, by the way. I think in part because we are so consuming all the time, that is something we all understand, that is national news. It's part of our way of medicating our way through life. We'll reflect more on Mark Sayers here in a few moments and some of the construct of thinking that can be helpful for us. But I would ask this, what if life was able to be lived with clarity? Would you like that? What if there is an overarching vision for life that can direct us and guide us through the challenges? What if we're able to live with a coherent identity that both values our individuality and who we are, but also values 
who we are as humans together, all of us having the same needs and basic desires, what if those things can be met? We think that's exactly what scriptures do. We think that's exactly why God sent his son. We think that's why God sent his son and had him killed on the cross of Calvary so that there would be a vivid image in our mind that we could not escape that tells us that he makes us worthy. It shows us an example of the simple way of loving God and loving others. We think there is clarity. The book of Colossians, we'll read a few verses this morning that help us with that. In the verses that we'll read, we'll read Paul using very stark language. Light and darkness, our culture which lives in darkness. But Jesus, who said, I am the light of the world. We'll see and read how we are trans- transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son, Jesus Christ, and how there's hope there. So as we read through Colossians, some context that we need to bear in mind as we are uh, reading through it. First of all, people is writing, or people, Paul is writing to the people of Colossae, which had once been a prominent city, and a city of import, but was now relatively obscure. We pointed out last week, they, they moved the freeway, essentially, and once a prominent city was now irrelevant except that the gospel came there. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings meaning to otherwise irrelevant and people and places. And a relationship with Jesus will bring meaning to your life. Also, let's bear in mind that Paul, who, who never met these people, likely, he writes with affection for them. Paul, who never met you, He writes with affection, and it's God's affection for you. So as we read these words, Jesus would invite us to hear these from himself, these words of hope, of life, tenderness towards you. And last week, um, we watched Randy and Aaron's testimony about how their life was made to be an adventure by saying yes to Jesus And Aaron will be helping to lead Alpha, which launches tonight. Very exciting. Well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we read your words, your living word to us, sent to us as a gift, I pray that you would bring clarity, that you would bring hope to those of us who are anxious and those of us who are feeling deep insecurity as a result of the world that we're living in. Bring clarity and I ask that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, let's read together Paul's encouragement. We'll read uh, six verses out of Colossians 1. I went to read out of my written Bible this morning, and I'm discovering what it means to be 40. I kept losing my place. I thought, what's wrong with the page? There's something wrong with my eyes. Yeah, okay. So, I know. I do need glasses. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we'll pick up a nine. This is, the big, this is part of Paul's greeting to them, his introductory words. 
So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. What kind of knowledge? Complete. And to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you will live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. And these last two verses are some of my favorite in all of Scripture. Let's read them out loud all together. Ready? Go. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Yeah. Mike had it right. He said, hallelujah. Good job. Okay, we'll take it a verse or two at a time. We'll point out a few things and uh, hope this is helpful for you. Paul says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you, he starts to describe what he's praying for. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. Paul prays for complete knowledge of God's will. He's praying for this because they, like us, were living in a confused time. Um, The region of Asia Minor, where Colossae is, was well noted for its many, many different religions and then um, subsets of religions, and then those things would kind of mash together. And commentators suggest that likely those early Christians there were, were tempted to combine some of the pagan worship with some of the Christian worship, and they were probably getting uh, confused. We have the same kind of occurrences that happen. We try to make like American consumerism work with Christianity and make God to be a big vending machine if we say the right thing to him, that he will get us what we want. Similar problem that we have. It is possible that these people, commentators suggest, were taught, were caught within a, a concept of philosophy at the time um, where there was a tendency towards spirit and flesh dualism. That what is spiritual, religious ritual and practices and emotional experiences were over here, but the flesh, how you lived your regular life, was less important, and those things wouldn't match or connect or have bearing. They were actually separated. It went to an extreme in some cases where the flesh is just bad and spirit is good, so it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh because it's all corrupted anyway, and so you can just live however you want in extreme cases. This leads, obviously, to an incoherent life. Paul says, I want you to come to complete knowledge, a full knowledge. Next week, we'll walk through the poem where he describes the immensity of Christ, how Christ is over everything, that Christ is the comprehensive reality. And a part of what they would need to know and what we would need to know is that God came in the flesh in Jesus Christ, that he did not come as an idea or an apparition or a set of principles, or truths, but rather he came into the flesh. 
And so the spirit and the flesh cannot be divorced from one another. That our flesh, in terms of how we live and how we walk this out, is incredibly important. And we have the same problem in our culture. Because we tend to think that complete knowledge means more thoughts about God. But complete knowledge has more to do with action and walking out and obedience, where we discover what it means to be a Christ follower as we follow the way of Christ. Jesus did not come to his early disciples, nor did he come to you with a thought of, come and think about me. He says, come and, he says, come and, yes, it's action. This is why all throughout the New Testament, there are verbs and there is action um, required. The life of a Christian follower or of a Christ follower should get us sweaty. It is going and it is doing the will of God who sends us into the world. Paul uses language elsewhere where he says, train like an athlete. Spiritual training has great benefit. Train like an athlete. He says, be like a good soldier for Christ Jesus. There's this grit that is associated with it because it's not something we think or that we feel. It is what we put into action. That is what complete knowledge is. This kind of knowledge isn't found in a sermon or a podcast or a book. Those things can be helpful, especially my sermons and my podcasts. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just, yeah. That's not even true. (laughs) But it's found on the journey. The help is found on the journey, getting on the move. Which is, I think there's an old song, get on the bus, God's on the move. Anybody know that song? It's probably better that you don't know that song. I don't know if it's a good song, but. Just like last week I was in Sheo, going and traveling and getting there and being among the people and having my heart stirred as I heard about the conflict that they have come out of and how they have sought to rebuild this village and to see in their eyes the hope that we bring as we bring a partnership and to be challenged and confronted by their way of life. It is going and doing where I'm being transformed. On June 2nd, we'll tell you more about this and you can know a bit more. But when you sign up to go on that mission team that you never thought that you would go on and as you fly into Guatemala and drive through the mountains to this little village and you're playing with the children and you're sensing the love of God and the mission of God and his big heart for the big world more, that's when you're transformed and changed. It's in the going. And so go. (laughs) Another example, you can say or think that you trust God with your finances all day long. But scripture calls us to tithe, to give our first 10% to the local church so the ministry can continue. And that's a big ask. And it can be very scary. And we can think all day long that, yes, God would provide for me no matter what. But until we are in that habit 
of obedience with our finances, we will never know completely the miracle it is to live according to God's ways and his economy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in The Cost of Discipleship about grace that he calls cheap grace that doesn't require action. It's just unlimited forgiveness. He says, the word cheap grace has been the ruin of more Christians than any commandment of works. And he's helping us to see that God, well, we, we preached about it a couple weeks ago, is not nice. He's kind. And in his kindness, he invites us to the way that leads to flourishing. And flourishing only comes as we walk in obedience. That is the complete knowledge where it is filled out. If you want to experience God in your life, obey the last thing he told you to do or the thing he tells you to do now. And then you'll experience the fullness of his will. It comes at a cost. But Jesus said, if you lose your life, you will gain your life. When we give our whole life to the way of following Jesus, we begin to know in heart and body and soul the will of God. Also in this verse, Paul says, we pray that you would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not the wisdom of this world. Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians that God has confounded the wisdom of this world, the human thinking of this world, with his wisdom, which seems foolish. So he's not saying general good tips for living kind of wisdom. He's asking and praying, and God's heart for us is that we would have spiritual wisdom. The, the kingdom of Jesus has been called the upside-down kingdom. It doesn't make sense until you walk it out and then you see everything clearly. Ah, his kingdom is the way of life. Just like what he said. Mark Sayers, in his book, Vertical Self, he gives a construct of thought that could be helpful for us to understand why we really struggle with this in our day and age. And he describes the horizontal self and he describes the vertical self. The vertical self is the correct way, the way that we need to be oriented towards life and towards God to walk in this fullness and this, um, this um, goodness that he has for us. The horizontal way is the way that our world works. And I'll explain first um, the vertical self, and this will make sense, and then we'll describe what we're coming out of relative to our culture and what we are affected by every day in terms of orientation. So the vertical self is this kind of orientation. Everybody, tilt your chin and look up. Now turn around and look at your neighbor's nostrils. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. It starts with up. We said around here, one of the phrases, God, you are God, and I am not. Historically, this has been the orientation that humans have had. It is commonly argued in our day and age that man has invented God. But really, all of mankind, except for recent history, has naturally looked up and recognized that we come from above, from a greater source. The vertical self starts with God as ultimate authority. Looking up. God, you are God. I am not. Concepts that we see in Christianity of final judgment. God judges. This very much affects the next level, 
that this life is about spiritual formation. That this life is not all there is. As we come from God, we will return to God. And so what we do in this life really matters. And when we talk about spiritual formation, we can talk about character formation, virtue formation, that this is the essence of life. And historically, as we look back, that was prominent within Christian thinking, character formation and service and loving others. Um, But we don't just see it in Christian thought. We see it in Greek thought. And then the third dynamic of a vertical self is recognizing that there are eternal consequences for sin. Sin not following the way of God. Sin trying to get or make worth or prove ourselves in this world. That that has not just temporal consequences, but eternal consequences too. We don't think that way because we are very much oriented by our culture according to the horizontal self, which we'll describe more as we walk through this and helping to understand the trippings and the trappings of our culture. So the horizontal self is not oriented up, but is oriented towards what others think, what culture thinks, what peers think. This is the orientation. It's very much oriented towards image and how others perceive you. The horizontal self is based on a secular framework that this life is all there is, and so we need to get a lot out of this life by consuming, by pleasure, entertainment. Here we are now, entertain us. (laughs) I want to sing more. I'm not going to. I'm just... I only do what I see the Father doing. And he doesn't sing Nirvana, so... So the orientation is towards this. This is all there is. This orientation, which baffles those who are um, advocates of the secular world, leads to the mass consumption and problems that we have in our world because it's just get all that you can now. The reward or the punishment for the horizontal self is status. This life is all there is. So whatever status you gain via achievement or money or or fame, we are infatuated with celebrities. Have you noticed that ridiculous celebrities make the headlines? Because we care. That's what this world is about. If I could just be famous and lose my mind like the rest of them. But the horizontal self, it's, it's status as reward. The bigger house, the nicer car, the more leisure, more travel, whatever it is. The punishment, too. If you haven't lived well, the punishment is now. Low status. I don't look good. I don't stand out among my peers. Why do they get everything? Envy. This is the oriental... Oriental. (laughs) For those of you watching at home. (laughs) Horizontal is what I meant to say. (laughs) This is the horizontal way of thinking, not the oriental way of thinking. I'm losing my mind. 
So, okay, where am I? Good thing I have notes. You guys are so grateful I have notes. We've talked here about a definition of sin, and um, it's not on the screen, but listen how this very much affects our hor- or illustrates this definition, our horizontal self. We say this, sin is living according to a fearful, selfish telos, telos means vision of life, fearful, selfish telos, which demands that we make worth rather than receive worth. This distorts the image of God and destroys relationships. That's the horizontal self. Make worth, prove yourself, get status, look cool, popular, pretty, whatever. Get more. But that destroys relationships. It creates a competition among ourselves that God never intended. It creates a one-upmanship. It creates hierarchies. It destroys the humanity and the dignity of people when we're living according to that thought system. But God has a better way. And getting back to this vertical orientation will be very helpful. We cannot experience what Paul prays for next. He prays for fruit to take place within our lives. We can't experience it unless we are in a vertical relationship. Mark Sayers writes, people with a vertical sense of self look beyond their earthly lives to eternity to see the continued development of their identities. But the horizontal self is forced to look at only the temporary. The idea of eternity is constrained to the world of immediacy that the horizontal self creates. With no understanding beyond the immediate, with no grasp of spirit, eternal spiritual realities, a horizontal self sees no point in spiritual growth. But Paul prays that our lives would be full of fruitfulness. He says, when you have that spiritual wisdom, then the, the spiritual wisdom, the complete knowledge of God's will, where it's action-oriented, living it out, then you will live the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, the Lord, <laughs> and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better, is what Paul says. Once we are in relationship with God in this vertical sense, where he is ultimate authority, we will begin to experience the power of obedience And we will grow and grow through obedience. That complete knowledge, which is action-oriented, which is always about obedience. I'll say it again. You can't grow in Jesus by staying on the sidelines. You have to get into the game. Start working with Jesus. It's not on the screen, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talks about how we have divorced this idea of faith and obedience as if these are two separate things. He says, if we make a distinction between faith and obedience and make obedience subsequent to faith, we are divorcing them from one another. And then we get to the real practical question. When must obedience begin? If obedience remains separated from faith, he says, obedience remains separated from faith. Faith is only real when there is obedience and never without it, and faith only comes, becomes faith and the act of obedience. James says it this way. Faith 
without works or obedience is dead. To mount the ladder, to ascend the ladder of the vertical self comes one rung of obedience at a time, putting flesh on our thoughts about God. And on that ascent comes the answer to Paul's prayer, the next prayers that he prays. He says, we also pray that you would be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. Hebrews says that but for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the shame of the cross. There is great joy when Jesus even walked out in obedience to the will of the Father to be crucified on the cross. That's where this joy comes from. You'll be filled with joy on this path, always thanking the Father. He says, always thanking the Father. It reminds me how, how Paul says in Philippians 4 that he's learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether he had or whether he didn't, whether he was well-fed or not, whether he was well-clothed or not, in sickness and persecution, he found the mystery of contentment that simply came in trusting and obeying Jesus Christ. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. It may seem, as we're talking through this, that this is our effort and power. But it's really just us connecting, plugging into the source of power through our obedience. And once we decide to connect with God by taking those steps of obedience, by putting our faith into practice, he fills us with great power. We've said before that the Holy Spirit is astounding. The Holy Spirit is the one who will both challenge you and propel you and encourage you to get on a radical road of faith and then be the one that comforts you and advocates for you as you walk out to those challenges. Jesus said, I will never leave or forsake you. I give to you my very presence. And as we are on his mission, walking out our faith, not in thought but in action, that Holy Spirit will give us grace, will give us peace. That is what Paul is praying for. Before we look at just the last two verses, here's some thoughts for application for this next week. First of all, reflect on your identity. Where does it come from? Does your identity come from looking at God and receiving worth as an image bearer of God? Or does your Identity come from the mirrors of people around you and how you measure up to them. I'm putting it on the screen again so you can take a picture if you would like. Take home the picture of the vertical self versus the horizontal self. What do you connect with more right now? What describes how you are gaining a sense of identity? Probably like a lot of us, you're, you're somewhere in between. You see the need to receive your identity through God, but it's so difficult to emerge from this very um, image-based culture that we are living in. A question for you. Connecting to God as God is very important. What can you do to connect more with God? I won't fill in all the blanks for you. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been whispering to you. Take some time 
and be with him in nature and to pray. Others of you, you felt, oh, I should read my Bible. As a preacher, I would say, yes, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Know God's heart, his tone, what's important to him, what is true. As we've talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, in just a moment we'll have prayer teams and um, I'll also be down here. Come forward and pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and he's faithful to do just that. And a simple question, what action can you take this week? Put flesh on this. Start giving. Start serving. Start being in the game. Get uncomfortable. Don't presume that the Christian life is one of comfort. That's a hallmark message. Not the message of the Bible. But it is what brings, to, brings life and wholeness to every area of our life. Well, these final two verses, as I mentioned, some of my favorites in all of Scripture. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. When we talk about obedience, we don't talk about obeying so that then God will then transfer us if we've really proved ourselves to God. No, this victory is assured already. He has already done this. No merit or worth of our own. He has won the battle. So I thought about this this week in various planes flying around the world. (laughs) I was reminded of D-Day in World War II. D-Day, June 6, 1944. The Normandy invasion on the beaches of France there. And once the beachhead was broken, victory in Europe was assured. But that wasn't the end. There was, in the battles to come, some of the most epic battles of World War II. The liberation of Paris. There was a lot of debate among the Allied commanders of whether Paris should be liberated first. Finally, the French said, you know what, we're not going to help if you guys don't liberate Paris. And so they did. And then the Battle of the Bulge, which was the, the bloodiest battle of all of World War II. And then crossing of the Rhine River. And then the Battle of Berlin, in which 300,000 Soviet men gave their lives for Berlin to finally be toppled. You see... D-Day is like Jesus' death and his resurrection. A grisly scene, but also there is victory that is assured. V-E Day, that final day of victory when a million people filled the streets of Paris in celebration, is Jesus coming back again. The second coming of Jesus, when all of creation will bend on bowed knee, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're looking forward to that day, but our lives are lived in the middle. Your walk is lived in the middle. The battles that you're facing, the challenges in your family, in your relationships, the challenges of your own discipleship. I would su- suggest that this is a pivotal time in history for us where God is creating an awakening in the church. There's a renewal that is coming. We're being drawn into deeper discipleship so that we can be like good soldiers for Jesus Christ to to continue the road all the way to victory. 
This is why we need to grow in our apprenticeship to Jesus and to become more like him. This is why we need to take on this as action and we need to wrestle with the false telos and vision of our world so that we might be ready to bring about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, trusting the victory is already secured, but we're gonna fight all the battles between now and then. This brings, yeah. This brings great significance to your discipleship walk because ultimately it's not just about you. You growing in strength is so that you'll be able to grab somebody else and bring them with you. So that person will be able to grab somebody else and bring them with you. Randy and Aaron in their testimony talked about last week about how they're bringing friends and family. Alpha starts tonight and we have people that are not Christians who will be in this building hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our discipleship ends up not being about just ourselves, but about being a part of the long people chain of humanity connecting us to Jesus Christ. Between now and then, there are epic battles, but let's get strong so that we can endure. Victory is assured. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for the prayer of Paul here. I pray that you would bring to each of us spiritual understanding and spiritual wisdom, that you'd help us to know your will, and that as a result of walking this out in the flesh, that we would become transformed and experience, Jesus, what you promised, life in the full. Just with eyes closed, if there's, if there's a battle that you are facing in your life, it's in your family, it's in relationships, it's, would you just lift up your hand? Yeah, yeah, you see that battle. Yeah, there's, there's hands all over, you're not alone. That battle can be the very place of your own discipleship and transformation as you trust God through it and not yourself. So Father, I pray that you would give wisdom, spiritual understanding to every person who acknowledges the battle in their life right now, and I pray that they would turn to you and trust you. We love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Amen. Well, as is becoming our custom and our habit, we're going to take the last few minutes with worship and give you a chance to respond. I'll be down front here. There'll be some members of the prayer team that will be down here. If you need prayer, please come and receive prayer. Devin and the team are going to lead us through that song, God With Us. So even as we've been challenged through his word, we've been reminded of his faithfulness. Let's stand together and uh, let's sing. Please come forward to receive prayer and uh, don't leave this without doing some business with God over the next few moments.